In preparation for our time around the table of the Lord, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 14. I have reminded us often of verses 1 and 2. They call us to be imitators of God and walk in love in light of the gospel and Jesus giving himself for us, purchasing us, in the words of Scripture, with his own blood. We'll come back to those verses more specifically as we come to the table of the Lord, but we're going to focus our attention on verses 3 through 14. But let's read Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 14. Hear the word of God. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality... Or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Again, you know that there were no chapter and verse divisions when these things were written. We have added that so that we might be able to reference where things are found and quickly go to them. But here we see the Apostle Paul, born alone by the Spirit of God, has in chapter 4 in our Bibles, in verse 32, mentioned that God in Christ has forgiven you. And so he says, therefore... Here's how you're to live in light of that gospel, in light of the forgiveness you have in Christ. You're to be imitators of God in verse 1. Verse 2, you're to walk in love. Love for God and flowing from that, love for others. And it all is in light of the gospel. 
Christ has loved you. Christ has given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The gospel affects how we live. It's not some truth that we just talk about in certain contexts and then doesn't impact how we live. It's not something we just come and remember here on the Lord's Day and then leave and go home and it has no practical impact on our lives. No, it has an impact upon our lives. And the gospel calls us to live holy in the midst of an unholy world. We're to be light in the midst of darkness. And there is much evil around us. So how are we to live in the light when we are surrounded by so much darkness and sin? How are we to live in light of the gospel? How are we to live in a manner consistent with our salvation and the character of our God when there's so much sin and ungodliness pressing upon us? This passage addresses that. Here's how you are to live in light of the gospel. In light of the fact that your sins have been forgiven in Christ. Here's how you're to live in light of the sacrifice of Christ for you. As we look at verses 3 through 14, again, we won't go into great depth through these verses. We're just preparing for our time at the table of the Lord. But let me give you three words that will help us to live in the light in the midst of so much darkness and help us to understand this passage and how Paul exhorts believers in Ephesus to do so. Those three words are recognize, refrain, and reasons. First, recognize those things that are not proper, those things that are not fitting for the people of God. Secondly, refrain, or we could say repent of these sins if we're committing them, but refrain from these things. And then Paul gives reasons why we should refrain from these particular sins and repent of them if we ever turn to them and commit them. First of all, if we're going to be light in the midst of darkness, we need to recognize something, that there are certain things that are not proper and fitting for the people of God. Those things are described in verses 3 and 4, but immorality and impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. For there must be no filthiness and no silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting. How do we know those things are not fitting for saints, for believers. In one sense, we could say it's obvious. If we know the gospel, if we understand the content of the gospel, then it's obvious that these things are contrary to the holy calling with which we've been called. We know these things are inconsistent with our calling in Christ. We have the moral law of God written upon our hearts. We have 
the written law of God in the scriptures. We have, as we'll look at not too many weeks or months, we have the Ten Commandments, a summary of the moral law of God. And we have the Holy Spirit pressing the law of God upon our hearts, convicting us, but also enabling us to walk according to His moral law. In the words of Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This is part of the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we we have the law of God written in our hearts. Even unbelievers can distinguish and even tell us at times, that's inconsistent with what you claim you believe. We have the law written on our hearts. We have it inscripturated. We have the Holy Spirit who causes us to walk in these statutes. We know that these things are inconsistent with our salvation and the character of God. How could there be any dispute? Anything that's immoral and impure, things that are related to greed and covetousness, filthiness and words that are filthy and coarse jesting, we know, we know these things are inconsistent. There shouldn't be a debate. What is the problem? Well, we're still fallen. We still have remaining corruption. There's an adversary who tempts us with these things. And there's the temptation that comes from the world. And so we need to be reminded, even as the church at Ephesus needed to be reminded, though, these things are inconsistent with the glorious gospel. Christ has given Himself for you. So walk in light of the gospel. Refrain from these things. But first we need to recognize them. In the church at Ephesus, they were not unlike we are today in that they were in a society filled with all kinds of ungodliness. Sexual sins were common. They were accepted. They were tolerated. They were encouraged. If you read in Acts 19 of That city of Ephesus, when the gospel was preached there, there was the god of Artemis or Diana. Diana was the mother goddess of the earth whose seat of worship was the temple in Ephesus, the capital of the Roman province of Asia. And a part of that worship of Diana, this false god, this idol, was temple prostitution. And you remember when the gospel was preached there, and they believed upon Christ that the gospel so spread and and so changed lives that idol makers were going out of business. And a riot ensued because the preaching of the gospel was causing them to no longer have a means of income, at least to their liking. And so in that culture, idolatry, immorality, greed all went together. They were running rampant everywhere Christians in Ephesus turned. And it's in that context that Paul writes to these believers and exhorts them to be pure and holy. To walk in the light and not in the darkness. 
And is the same not true today? We need the same exhortation. We need to recognize that which is not fitting and proper for God's people. What are they? Well, immorality. This refers to sexual immorality of of all kinds. The Greek word translated here, immorality, is porneia. refers to fornication, adultery, prostitution, even things like bestiality. All forms of sexual immorality. And so as you know, any sexual behavior outside of the monogamous marriage between one man and one woman falls into this category of immorality. It's sin against God. Impurity. It means moral uncleanness, indecency. In Colossians 3.5, it says that we're to consider ourselves dead to impurity. In Galatians 5, it's a deed of the flesh. Impurity refers to all kinds of indecency, including thoughts. It's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4.7. God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Then Paul mentions greed. To be greedy is to be covetous. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. John MacArthur has said greed is inseparable from impurity. They really go together. Every form of sexual immorality is really an expression of the self-will, self-gratification, and self-centeredness of greed. He says immorality and impurity are but forms of greed in the realm of sexual sin. They are manifestations of sexual covetousness. In verse 4, he mentions filthiness, indecency, obscene language, profanity, silly talk. This isn't referring to making jokes. This is referring to base talk about sexually immoral things. Coarse jesting, a reference to vulgarities. So this refers to dirty language, using our tongues to then speak of those things that are not fitting and consistent with the gospel. Suggestive language, double entendre, sexual innuendo. None of these things are fitting for the believer and for his people. Paul says, recognize these things. We need to know what they are. And he's not just naming these things, but these are representative of some of the things that should not be named among us. Recognize them and have nothing to do with them. So then he says, refrain. Recognize these things. He names them. And then he says, refrain from these things. These are things that we should be refraining from, not participating in. He says it this way in verse 3. They must not even be named among you. Paul is not saying that you never bring up the subject or say the words. He himself is bringing up the subject and saying the words. 
We have to speak about these things. But what Paul means here is they should not be named among you. They should not be a part of your life. They should not be known as characteristic of your life and your relationships. Don't be entertained by it. Have nothing to do with it. Walk away from it. Don't participate. It shouldn't even be named among you. Someone shouldn't be able to say that church or that believer or that person is characterized and known for these things. No, our lives should be so different from the world because of the gospel that these things should not be named among us. So refrain from them. And if they are something that we commit, then we're to repent of them. Then Paul then gives reasons why. Here's some reasons why. At the end of verse 3, he says, as is proper among saints. They shouldn't be named among you as is proper among saints. You're saints. You are holy ones. You're those who have been justified by the grace of God. You have the righteousness of Christ imputed to your account. You're a saint. So live in that way. And in light of that, you understand that if you're a saint, then a saint shouldn't live in that kind of sin. It doesn't make us saints by imputation that we might then practically continue in sin. He makes us saints that then we might pursue those things that are consistent with that holy calling. And he says in verse 4, it's just not fitting. There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting. That is, it's not proper. These things are inconsistent with the Christian life. These things are inconsistent with the gospel. Educators talk about classification. You've heard me refer to this before. When your children are growing up, they'll show them pictures of things that are related with something in that or a picture that's not related and they're to identify this doesn't fit and so you might have a child brushing his teeth and reading a bedtime story and then a, a child sleeping in bed and then a child swimming in a pool well that doesn't go with what happens at bedtime it's not fitting it, it, it doesn't mix well there's certain things we understand that aren't fitting and when we understand the gospel and we consider Christ and who He is, and what He has done to save us, and the content of the gospel, and the forgiveness of our sins, and then that holy calling to which we have been called. These things are not fitting. They're not proper for believers. It just don't go with it. He mentions how we use our tongues in verse 4. There should be no filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting. That's not fitting. Rather, what should be coming from our mouths should be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to God, not profane speech. So we're saints. That's why we should refrain and repent of such sins. We're, it's not proper. It's not fitting. It doesn't fit the gospel. But then he says in verse 5, these sins are characteristic of those who are unsaved. 
not those who have been saved by the grace of God. Verse 5, for this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure or covetous man, he's just mentioning what he mentioned in verse 3, immorality, impurity, greed, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. These things are not characteristic of those who have been saved by the grace of God. These things are characteristic of those who are unsaved. Literally in the Greek, you could translate it this way. It's, it says, this you know, knowing. And it's repeated and translated for us, this you know with certainty. This you know, knowing. You know this. That those who live in such ways don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. In fact, in verse 6, these sins bring the wrath of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't let anyone confuse you and say, well, yeah, there are people who live in such ways, but they're going to be in heaven one day. Now, let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't let anyone deceive you and think, oh, it's not that bad, it's okay. No, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We need to see them for what they are. Therefore, verse 7, do not be partakers with them. They may walk this way, but but you shouldn't. Don't be partakers with them. Why? Verse 8, for you were formerly darkness. That's who you once were. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What are you, believer? What are you? Well, that can be answered a number of ways from the Bible. But here in verse 8, you are light in the Lord. May I remind you that if you're a believer, you once were dead in your trespasses and sins. You once formally walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You once were among the sons of disobedience. You once were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ. But now you are light in the Lord. I love the contrast of Scripture. It should appeal to our conscience. It should stir up our hearts. That's not what we are anymore. We're not darkness any longer. But now you're light in the Lord. You're no longer stumbling around in the darkness with your eyes blinded. The light of the gospel has shone upon you. For the God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You've been born again. You've been made alive. You've been justified. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You're a child of God. You're adopted into His family. This is what you are. Amen. Now notice in verse 8 that it doesn't just say that you are in the light, although that's true. 
It doesn't say that we have come to the light, although that is true. It doesn't say we have the light, although that is true as well. But it says you are light in the Lord. Is that true of you? Is that who you are? Having come to and believed in the light of the world, Jesus, you are now light in the Lord. You're no longer darkness, but you are light. Therefore, there's always a therefore to these truths. Paul says, walk as children of light. Live like it. Live like it. If you've been born again by the grace of God, then you have His seed that abides in you. To use the words of 1 John chapter 3, you've been born of Him. His seed abides in you. He has given you His Holy Spirit. You're now light. And instead of being characterized by immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, your life should be characterized by those things that are mentioned in verse 9. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Goodness, that which is morally excellent, that which is in accordance with the moral purity of God. Righteousness, that which is upright as God is upright. And that which is truth. Or it could be translated truthfulness as opposed to lying and falsehood and deceiving and hypocrisy. These are some of the characteristics of the fruit of light. And there's a dramatic difference between what's described here in verse 9 and what's described earlier. And so walk as children of light. How do you do that? Verse 10. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. This is the mark of a true Christian. Having believed on Christ, resting and hoping in Christ, now he's trying to learn. He wants to comprehend and know what is pleasing to the God who has saved him. He wants to do the will of God. This is his ambition. He's set upon a new course. The law written upon his heart, now he has the Holy Spirit pressing these things upon his heart. And causing him to walk in these things. So he's pursuing them. This is what drives the Christian. This is why Jesus could say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father. That is the one who will enter. Because a person who's been saved by grace, who has the Holy Spirit, has this mark. He now is trying to learn what is pleasing To his Lord. He wants to know the word of God and do it. So we are light in the Lord. This is what we are. Therefore we are to walk in the light as children of light. What does that look like? Goodness, righteousness, truth, truthfulness. A life that is pursuing in this holy pursuit of knowing the will of God and walking in it. But then Paul gives some negatives. Here's what those who are walking as children of the light do not do. Verse 11, do not participate 
in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And this goes back to verse 7. Do not be partakers with them. And so as light in the Lord, there's a type of separation that will take place. A separation from that which is darkness. We're not to be partakers with darkness and those who practice such things. We're not to have fellowship with the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And this is what this is talking about. Now, there's a change in fellowship. Again, we once fellowshiped in these things and with those who pursued such things. But now we're not partakers with them. We don't fellowship with them anymore. We don't participate in these things. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or fellowship do we have with those things? What fellowship do we have with darkness? So do not partake, do not participate, don't partake with them, don't participate in their sin. But, he goes further than that, your life, now as light, you are light, your life should expose them. The word expose here means to convict. We don't participate, but we expose. People say, well, we're to walk as children of light, but but don't be judgmental of others. That's just not how you live, but you can accept those who live that way. No, that's not what God says. God says, your life as now a child of God should expose those things and show it to be what it is. Sin against God and those who live and walk in such things and do not come to the light, Jesus himself, will be under the eternal wrath of Almighty God. We're not trying to make friends with those who walk in darkness in that sense. We're called to be light to them, to expose their sin. And this is where much of the church falls short. We just want to retreat. The darkness seems to be spreading, so let's retreat. And we think that's not participating. Well, not participate, participate means we live in this world, but not of this. We're not of this world. But we let our light shine, unashamed of the gospel, so that it might expose the sin. It might bring persecution. It might bring hatred. And listen, much of this is within the professing visible church. Those who truly know Christ live as lights. We are light in the Lord. And when there are those within us or the midst of the church that walk in such darkness, we expose it. The church might be a holy bride so that we might be those who not only proclaim the gospel, but live the gospel. So our lives, since we are light, we should be doing what light does. It exposes darkness. And he says in verse 12, For it is disgraceful even to speak of things which are done by them in secret. Their deeds are so sinful and part of darkness. They're, They're done in secret. But we're to expose it. 
verse 13 is really has evangelism in mind. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Our lives are to be like light. We, we walk into the darkness and it shines forth. And, and it says, sin, this is sin against God. This is unholy. This is unrighteous. But God is holy, holy, holy. And the wrath of God will come upon those who walk in such things, who live in such things, and then we come and say, there is one who came as light. Come to the light. Believe in the Lord Jesus. So the picture of verse 13 now, when he's saying, you are light, walk as children in light of light. Expose the darkness. Live in such a way that there is the conviction of sin for those around you who are still in darkness. Someone has said the disclosure of people's sins affected through believers' lives enables men and women to see the nature of their deeds. Some abandon the darkness of sin and respond to the light so they become light themselves. That's what Paul is describing here. Don't participate, but expose it by your life and the proclamation of the gospel so that then the sinner sees his sin and hears and believes the gospel. Again, in the words of Jesus, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men. In such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Peter said it this way, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Paul says, for this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's referring to Isaiah 60, verse 1. It was a reminder of what had happened in their lives, and it was encouragement of what God could do in the lives of others who would come to Christ. That they would awake from their sleep, arise from the dead, and have the light of Christ shine upon them. Believers, this is how we're to live in light of the gospel. You are light in the Lord, aren't you? So we come to the table of the Lord this evening. We need to examine our lives. Which is true of you? Those things in verses 3 and 4? If that characterizes your life, do not be deceived with empty words. You're a son of disobedience. The wrath of God will come upon you. Flee to the light. Flee to Christ. Believers, don't be partakers in these things. Expose them with your lives. Don't be ashamed not only of the gospel, but the implications of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the moral law of God. Don't be ashamed of holiness and righteousness and goodness and truth. 
but so pursue the moral will of God that, that the darkness around you is exposed for what it is. And in this way, bring glory to God. For some will see and be convicted. Some will spew out hatred. Some will persecute you. But some will be convicted as their sin is exposed and hear the gospel and believe and be saved. So believers, be imitators of God. Walk in love. So as we come to the table of the Lord tonight, I want you to be reminded that, yes, Christ gave himself for us. He loved us. Not because of anything good in us, but because of his sovereign grace and will to rescue sinners to the praise of the glory of his grace. But in light of that glorious gospel, now walk in the light. So I would like for you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And let's spend a moment before the Lord examining our own lives. As we come to the table, we dare not come carelessly. We don't treat the Lord's table as we've been studying in our discipleship group like indulgences where we say, I want to sin, so I'll just come to the table of the Lord as if somehow we can get a pardon for our sin. We come to the table of the Lord remembering what Christ has done for us and this holy calling with which we have been called. Stirring us up to now walk as children of light, for that is what we are. And stirring us up to live holy. So take a moment and examine your heart before the Lord. Before we remember the death of Christ on our behalf. My Father in heaven, I thank you that you did not leave me in my sins. But out of your great mercy and love in Christ, you rescued me from what my sins deserved. And I thank you that having rescued me from the wrath that my sins deserved through faith in Christ, Lord, you are not leaving me in my sins, but you are sanctifying me and at work in me, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. And I thank you that that is true for every believer. You have saved us, that we might be children of light, that we might walk in the light and walk consistent with this glorious gospel. And so bring glory and honor to your name. Father, I pray that we would not be ashamed of the gospel and all its implications. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to live in such a way that we expose the darkness that is around us. Well, Father, forgive us for participating in and being partakers in these things that are characteristic of sons of disobedience among whom we once walked. 
as we come to the table this evening, Lord, we repent of these things. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that indwells us, that convicts us of sin, and enables us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel with which we've been called. We thank you for the Spirit that is at work in us. So, Father, as we remember this evening, may we rejoice in the gospel and may we be stirred up to leave this place and live as light. For you are God and our Savior, indeed, our light, in whose name we pray, amen.